Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages is based on an intriguing teaching from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. For more details, be sure to get a copy of Kevin's recently released commentary on the book of Ezekiel from Amazon in your region or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Just uh, for sake of time again this morning, I just want to read the four verses that we've been using as our text here. Ezekiel chapter 14, and let's read verse 14, 16, 18, and 20 again. And here the Lord speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to his generation. He says, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. And again in verse, 13, uh, verse 16, pardon me, he repeats the uh, thought here, Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. And then again in verse 18, Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. And then for the fourth time God repeats it in verse 20, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. So the theme that we've been sharing the last several Sundays, and uh, we'll finish our series on this area next Sunday, is entitled, These Three Men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. And as we've been sharing together, we've been asking ourselves questions, why did God pick these three men out? And we're found together in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And that each of these men uh, are not only uh, uh, men in their own generation speaking to their generation, they're all second coming men and we find that the New Testament uh, uh, speaks of each of these men, particularly in relation to our generation and the second coming of Christ. So just for our very brief summary and review, let's just look at the uh, diagram we've used the last couple of Sundays. So these three men in the Old Testament, Noah and Daniel and Job. And as we look at Noah, he was a preacher, Daniel was a prophet, and Noah was a patriarch. We see how in the last days in the New Testament, each of these men are taken up. Last Sunday, uh, we particularly looked as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Today we want to look at the prophet Daniel, and then next uh, Sunday we want to look at Job. So these three men, God chose these three men as testimonies to us, as well as to the generation that uh, uh, Ezekiel was speaking to. Now, I want you to turn over just to uh, a verse in Matthew chapter 24, uh, 15 here. Matthew 24 and verse 15. Just to confirm the fact that uh, Daniel is referred to in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. And Jesus is on the Mount of Olives here and giving what I refer to as a miniature uh, book of Revelation, uh, a miniature overview of eschatology and things from his uh, first coming right down to the second coming. And in verse 15 he says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, Uh, and so forth, and woe unto them that were with child. And then in verse 21 he says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, 
to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So just briefly to say that the Lord Jesus confirmed uh, Daniel is a prophet. Uh, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So Jesus confirmed Daniel as a person, as a prophet, as well as his uh, particular uh, word. And of course, uh, when we come to the book of Revelation, we find that the uh, Apostle John actually takes up so much of the prophecies of the book of Daniel. In fact, someone has put it this way, that the Apostle John is actually the Daniel of the New Testament, and uh, Daniel is the John, Daniel of the Old Testament is really the John of the New Testament. And it's impossible to understand the book of Daniel without the book of, John, uh, book of Revelation. And it's impossible to understand the book of Revelation without the book of Daniel. They're sort of two parts of the whole. So both books need to be together. So uh, Daniel and John. So here the Lord is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel and saying, Though Noah, Daniel and Job were in it, in this city of Jerusalem, they would only deliver their own souls by their own right or by their righteousness, saith the Lord. As we saw last week, it was a faith righteousness, a, right, a righteousness uh, by faith in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to, uh, just in our, uh, again, our very limited time here, want to consider the, uh, the look, uh, sort of life of Daniel, a character of Daniel, just in three portions here, and I'm going to particularly major on the first one and just touch, touch briefly on the other two parts. So uh, we're going to look at Daniel as number one, the man, and then number two, the ministry, and number three, the messages. So let's all say that together. Number one, the man. Let's all say it together. Number two, the ministry. And number three, the message. All right, so we're going to touch on Daniel very briefly here. So, so inexhaustible the Word of God is. The man, the ministry, and the messages. Uh, I'd like you to turn to Daniel chapter 1 as we first of all look at number 1, the man. book of Daniel just immediately follows Ezekiel. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 1. Now before we read uh, several uh, verses from chapter 1, looking at Daniel the man, how many young people here are between the ages of 17 and 21? Why don't you all stand? I'd like all the young people between the ages of 17, if you know how old you are, uh, 17 and 21, why don't you all stand here? Let's have a look at these young people, folks. Let's give them a hand. Amen. Thank you. Now, we're going to be looking at the man here, a young man by the name of Daniel. And when Daniel was taken to Babylonian captivity, he was apparently between the ages of 17, or the age of 17 and 21 years of age. So I want to talk to the 17 to 21 years of age as well as to the whole church. Now, we have a real contrast uh, from last Sunday to today. How old was uh, Noah when the word of the Lord came to him? How many remember that? 480 years of age. Anybody that age, would you please stand? <laughs> all right, so that eliminates all of us really, doesn't it? So after picking out an old man... And 600 years when he entered into the ark, now the Lord goes to a young man. Daniel, 
17 to 21 years of age. Now, as we just uh, look at the background briefly of the situation here, you'll notice in verse 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, how many would like to have a name like that? If I had a name like that, I'd change it to Kevin. <laughs> Kevin Ashpenaz, oh dear, dear. It's uh, Volga Olga, that one is, isn't it, eh? Uh, and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom uh, was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine, which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, and to whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and Hananiah of Shadrach, and Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah uh, Bendigo. Uh, no. Uh, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine, pardon me, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. All right, we'll hold it there now. Now, let's just take the uh, background. He's a young man, and he's of the royal house of the, of the king's seed, as we're told here. And Nebuchadnezzar had come against uh, the city of Jerusalem and uh, destroyed the city. There had been several invasions of the place and several uh, um, invasions and captivities over a period of years of taking uh, the, the Jews to Babylon. And so in this uh, invasion here under the reign of King Jehoiakim, uh, Daniel is taken to Babylon. Remember, in our first session, Ezekiel is in Babylon as a young man of about 30 years of age, and Daniel is taken to captive. And what a contrast it was uh, to Daniel to go from Jerusalem. And if you can just uh, put yourself, young people, as well as the rest of us, uh, as we share the word here this morning, put yourself in this young man's position. He's about 17 uh, to 21 years of age, basically a teenager. And he's been in Jerusalem. He's of the king's seed, apparently from the line of Hezekiah in the royal house there, a prince. And uh, he, he knows the city of Jerusalem, walls of Jerusalem. He knows the temple of God and the, the priesthood and the offering of the animal sacrifices. He's just saturated in the word and the law of the Lord. And uh, here a young man, all of a sudden, there's invasion against the city of Jerusalem. The walls are broken down. Temple is burnt. The temple, the temple treasures are taken out. And here is a young man. He's taken away to the city of Babylon. No house of God, but house of idols. No temple of the Lord, but the temple of Baal. Uh, no longer the walls of the city of Jerusalem and the praise and the worship of the priesthood, but the Babylonian priesthood 
and uh, the great walls of the city of Babylon. Here he is, and just listen to some of the description that I got out of Larkin's book on this. And just imagine the scene that you're in, because we're looking at the man, then briefly the ministry, and then the message. Let me just give you a, a definition, if you can use your imagination of the, the uh, wonder of the world in that time. city of Babylon in Daniel's time was an exact square of 15 miles on a side, or 60 miles around. So think of a city, four square... 60 miles around, 15 miles on each side. It was surrounded by a brick wall about 87 feet thick. Think of that. 87 feet thick. 350 feet high. Uh, some say 100, uh, 100 feet high, but very high uh, brick wall. And on the wall around the city of Jerusalem, there were 250 towers. And we, we are told from uh, uh, archaeology and Someone said that an archaeologist is one crackpot looking for another crackpot. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, uh, you have this magnificent uh, city, and on the, the, the walls were so wide that it was wide enough to have uh, chariot races, that six chariots could uh, drive abreast and race around the walls of the city. Then we're told that the base of the wall was 750 feet high, and inside, there was an inside wall of 250 height, inferior but narrow, and also surrounding the city. So we have this double wall. So think of an impregnable city. Outside of the Great Wall was a vast ditch surrounding the city, and this was kept filled with uh, water from the River Euphrates. And then we're told that the River Euphrates actually ran uh, diagonally across the city through these, uh, what they call the leave gates. Uh, something like the, the River Yarra running through Melbourne, except our river is the only river that flows upside down, the mud's on top. Um, so then we're told that in the city itself, there was 25 magnificent av avenues, 100 feet, 150 feet wide, and they ran across the city from north to south. And uh, the same number crossed them at right, right angles from east to west, making 676 great squares, uh, each nearly three-fifths of a mile on a side. Then we're told that the city was divided into two, two equal parts by the river Euphrates, which flowed diagonally through it, and whose banks within the city were walled up and pierced through with brazen gates, uh, with steps leading down into the river. At the end of the main avenues on each side of the city were gates whose leaves were of brass, and that shone as they were open or closed in the rise, rising or setting of the sun, and referred to as leaves of flame." Uh, the Euphrates within the city was spanned by a bridge, and at the end of each was a palace, these being connected with subterranean passages or tubeway underneath the bed of the river, uh, like the loop downtown, in which different points were sumptuous banqueting rooms constructed entirely of brass. Near one of these palaces, in the middle of the city, stood the temple or tower of Baal. It consisted of eight towers, each 70 feet high, 75 feet high, rising up upon the other with outside winding stairway to its summit, making a total of about 6,000 feet. This chapel contained the most expensive furniture in the world, and in the tower was this golden image, 45 feet high, and uh, worth about, well, back then when this was written, about $2 million. Babylon had a standing army at all times for security, and of course, as we know from history, that Babylon contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the famous Hanging Gardens. 
These gardens were 400 feet uh, square and they were raised in terraces one above the other to the height of 350 feet and reached by stairways. At the top of each terrace, uh, it was covered with large stones on which was laid a bed of rushes, then a layer of thick asphalt, then two courses of brick cemented together and finally plates of lead preventing any leakage. Uh, the hole then was covered with earth, planted with shrubbery and large trees and we're told that it took about uh, 103,000 slaves three years to haul the dirt for the gardens in bags on their ba uh, backs. The hole had the appearance of a forest-covered mountain and it was a remarkable sight for the level plain of the Euphrates in China. We're told that this was built by Nebuchadnezzar to please his wife. <laughs> How many want to please their wives? Uh, from the mountain regions of Media and the garden hung on elephants. And of course, one of the magnificent things was the banqueting hall uh, where uh, on the night that Babylon fell, that Daniel lived to see, 94 years of age, he lived to see the fall of Babylon from 17 years of age as a teener, 70 years in a Babylonian situation, but not allowing Babylon to get into him. He was there the night uh, when the, when the, the, the uh, Babylonian soldiers were so drunk they forgot to shut the two leave gates of the city. And so the Medo-Persian army diverted the river Euphrates and so the soldiers came up the riverbed, found the leave gates open according to the prophecy of Isaiah about a hundred years before and came up into the banqueting house. We're told, in the banquet, uh, told about the uh, banquet that's uh, talk about having a party that there was uh, a thousand of uh, Belshazzar's lords there. Each of them had 50 wives. First one they called dear, the rest they called expensive. <laughs> In fact, I'm told that one of them said, as he got into bed that night, last one into bed puts the light out. Uh, are you all right this morning? Or is it me? Okay. And Belshazzar himself had 350 wives. And in this feast, this banquet, about 50,000 people were present. In fact, they say that there was a 32,000-piece orchestra. And they had all the girls and the prostitutes and the showgirls flipping around when all of a sudden the hand comes out of the wall and writes in unknown tongues. And there's nobody who can interpret but a young man by the name of Daniel. And that night, Belshazzar was slain. So you imagine yourself as a young person taken from Jerusalem, the city of God, temple of the Lord, and now you're in this Babylonian thing. What would you do? All right, in uh, chapter 1 that we read, some of the points you might like to take down briefly without too much amplification except a major one here. We're told in verse 4 that uh, these children, or literally young men, they were young men in whom there was no blemish. Number two, they were well-favoured or good-looking. How many think all our young people are good-looking? I know some of you don't feel that way when you look in the mirror in the morning. Many times a mirror cracks. But these were good-looking young men. And we're told that they were gifted in wisdom. 
knowledge and understanding. Three key words in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, knowledge, understand. They were skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, and understanding in science. Now number four, we're told that they had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. I don't think they were dressed like a bunch of hippies today. It was quite interesting being at uh, John Wimber's seminar this conference this week and seeing some of the youth and how they uh, dress. Uh, they uh, easily showed their identity with which culture they identified with. But these uh, had ability in them to stand before the king. How many think they would be well-groomed and well-dressed? Very quiet out there. Thank you, Brother Kevin. Good point there. And of course, what we've read in Ezekiel, we're told that Daniel and undoubtedly his companions were righteous men, faith-righteous men. Now, the heart of Daniel as the man is found in verse 8, which I want to read again. The Daniel purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel purpose in his heart. Young people, older people, we've got to have purpose in heart. As we've been sharing together, we're living in a Babylonian situation today. Confusion, economic, political, religious, spiritual, and national confusion. But though Ezekiel and Daniel are both in Babylon, they didn't allow Babylon to get into them, that spirit. And so Daniel has a purpose of heart. So whatever his age, exact age-wise, but as a teenager, something happens. Okay, I've been taken from Jerusalem and I'm out of the city of God, and now I'm in the city of man, city of God that originally was founded by the Lord, and now this city of Babylon was founded by Nimrod, and it's interesting that Nimrod's name means the rebel, and he's the 13th from Adam, and 13 is the number of rebellion. So Babylon has its foundation in rebellion. We're living in a rebel culture. So Daniel says, okay, though I'm living in a city that had its roots in rebellion, and, and, and rebellion always leads to confusion. So Daniel purpose in his heart, though I'm in this situation in Babylon, I'm not, not going to let Babylon get into me. So he purposed in his heart. It was a thing of the heart. And you see, whatever is in the heart comes out. They say, oh, it doesn't matter what, what you look like on the outside, what you are on the outside. It's the heart that matters. It's true. But you see, if your heart is right inside, you're going to be right outside. You can't have internal righteousness and outward rottenness. Right? Or you could have outside righteousness apparently be rotten on the inside, but it's not the other way around. So Daniel has a purpose in heart. So as a youth, he says, okay, I'm not going to be defiled with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine. Now, he could have, as the young man said, or the other young men could have said, well, look, when you're in Babylon, you do what Babylon does. When you're in Rome, you do what Rome does. But he has a purpose in heart that I'm not going to let the world squeeze me into its mold. I'm going to be salt and light in the midst of a Babylonian situation. So purpose of heart. Now, I just don't have the type of time looking at that clock up there. In fact, actually I was going to put, leave it back the hour. <laughs> and then I could have the everlasting gospel, but I um, uh, got convicted about that and repented. So I put the clock on extra on this proper time and I added two minutes to it, so I know I've got two minutes extra there. So I'm going to give you some scriptures. I may not be able to turn to them all. But we ask the reason, why did Daniel have purpose in heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine he drank? 
He could have had this attitude as a, long pe- a lot of young people today have and older people. Well, when in Rome, you do what Rome does. When you're in Babylon, you, you, you do what Babylon does. You go with the flow. Well, I'll tell you, young people and old people, any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim upstream. Amen. How many live fish here today? Hallelujah. And so, well, thank you, thank you. Oh, hallelujah. I got my amen, amen corner up here. I have to give them a love offering now and then, you know, for this. But put down Leviticus chapter 11, so the whole chapter, Leviticus chapter 11, and the first reason Daniel purpose in his heart not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine is this. There was certain, under the law now, there was certain law, a certain, uh, certain um, uh, unclean foods that were forbidden to be eaten. And in Leviticus chapter 11, God spells it all out, verses 1 through to 47, and he says, I want you to know the difference between the clean and the unclean so that you do not be defiled by these things. Put down Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy 12, verse 20 to 39, which repeats some of the basic things. Deuteronomy 12, verse 20 to 32. So unclean foods, and the first issue is, certain foods were forbidden by the, the, the word of the Lord, the law word, as it's been spoken of. Now Daniel and his companions couldn't rationalize, say, ah, oh, well, you know, food, we could bless this... Uh, uh, food and call it fish and a little bit of wine the king's wine what's a little what, you know what's wrong with social drinking a little bit of wine sipping and it really bothers me saints and this is our standard here particularly for leadership we do not want our leaders to be involved in social drinking and you see it's always time issue but I have personally done a study on this through the total bible and every reference to the total Bible, and there are only about two positive references to wine, and that was when Paul said to Timothy, drink no longer water, but take a little wine for your stomach's sake, and for your often infirmities. And you have to read that in its cultural setting. The waters in Ephesus were defiled, and Timothy had a weak stomach, and so Paul is saying, okay, don't drink any water any longer, uh, but drink a little wine, for your stomach's sake and your often infirmities, and it was medicinal. And the other scripture is in Proverbs 30, I think it is, where it says, give wine to him that is ready to perish, ready to die. But then the other warnings, and I've done every reference in the Bible, and I'm sorry to say, I'd say 99% of preachers and Christians have not done the thing through the total Bible. Now, I know the Bible condemns drunkenness, and it doesn't say anywhere thou should not drink. It doesn't say thou should not smoke either. But you see, when you don't have a specific command in Bible, you must go by principles. And there are biblical principles there. So Daniel could have rationalized and said, well, what's a little bit of wine? I won't get drunk. Just a little bit of social drinking. But nobody's ever become a drunkard unless they had their first sip. So that's a whole message in itself. Call it legalism, call it what you like, but call it Bible. Okay, that's the weight of the Bible is against it. The weight of the Bible is against it. Oh, that's a whole message in itself. So they could have rationalized. And then the second main reason was this, that the food was offered to idols. The food was offered to idols. Put down Jeremiah chapter 50 and verses 35 to 38. Jeremiah 50 verses 35 to 38. And we're told about Babylon then, the land of the Chaldeans, 
that it is a land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Mad upon their idols. So the city of Babylon and the land of Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, was just riddled with graven images and idolatry. And in the, in the scriptures, where in Isaiah particularly, Isaiah 44 through to 47, we're told, and I'm reading off my notes here, that uh, the land was filled with sorceries, enchantments, astrologers, stargazers, monthly prognosticators, and all forms of occultism. There were the magicians and the wise men of Babylon, and all these people were uh, condemned by God's laws. And it's interesting that wherever you see the word sorcery in the New Testament, the Greek word is, it has to do with pharmacutists or those who are makers, users, and enchanters with drugs. Just check your concordance. Every reference to sorcery in the New Testament has to do with those who make, use, or are enchanted with drugs. And we are living in a drug-related society, to say the least. So Daniel's in the midst of that. But as a young man, he says, I'm not going to let Babylon squeeze me into its mold. I purpose in my heart, I'm not going to be defiled with the, uh, with the portion of the king's meat, nor with his wine. Two things. First of all, it was against the word of the Lord, and also because it was offered to idols. Now I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you're taking down references here, you could put down for your notes 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Romans 14, and 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Romans chapter 14, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul deals with the issue of meats. Not only the issue of meats, but meats offered to idols. And I always feel for our, our brothers and sisters, our Malaysian students that have to go back and in our Australian culture, we don't always realize some of these things, but many of our young people that will be going back this, uh, the end of this year, back to Malaysia, going to unsaved families and the whole cultural, Malaysian cultural family situation, which is different to ours. We destroy family relationships, they idolize them. And so... We've had to handle this with some of our young people here who have come to me and said, well, Kevin, when I get back to Malaysia, I have to go back to my unsaved parents, and then after I've eaten the meat, they say, oh, you call yourself a Christian. Well, this meat was offered to us. How do we handle it? What do we say to our parents? So these are real-life situations that in our Australian culture I don't think we, we realize for our young people. How many believe we need to pray for our Malaysian young people that go back and have to be a light and witness in their culture and in their nation? We've got enough demons in this. They've got a few different ones up there. <laughs> Ours are more religious and sophisticated. <laughs> the same devil by whatever name you call him. Just change the label on the bottle. The, imp the poison in the inside is still bad. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 14, listen, listen to Paul's language. and it, It's impossible to understand Corinthians and so much of Paul's writings without getting back and bridging the cultural gap. Verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now Daniel is in Babylon. He's in an idolatrous situation. Uh, the, the meat and foods 
uh, have been offered to idols, wine has been poured out as a drink offering to Baal and to the thousands of gods that they have. They had their whole priestcraft and occultism there and soothsayers and drugs and enchanters and stargazers and uh, monthly prognosticators and all of the occultic thing and immoral things. So uh, that's the situation. So Paul's writing to is similar. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge you what I say. And now he links it up with the communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the sharing, the participation, the koinonia of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the koinonia, the sharing, the participation of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What, you, what am I saying then? Or what say I then? What am I saying? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? No, this is what I'm saying that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. So read it in the context, Daniel's in Babylon, and purpose in his heart, he would not defile himself with the king's meat, nor with the wine that he drank. First of all, the word of the Lord spoke between the unclean and the clean, they were not to eat of it, and second, the thing, they, it was offered to idols. Now the problem is, what Paul said, is the idol anything? Oh no, the idol is nothing. It's just made of wood, hay, and uh, stone, whatever the case may be. But it's the spirit that is behind the idol. And when they offered the meat to the idol, they partook of the spirit behind the idol. So let me continue reading. But I say that the Gentiles, and remember he says, I'm talking to wise men, I'm talking to wise men, wise women. We're talking about communion table. I'll say some things in a moment. I hope it doesn't frighten you, but help us to understand some things. So I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Now Daniel is faced with two cups. He's offered with the cup of the king's wine as royal seed, and it's quite evident as I was reading Josephus last night, Daniel has had a horrifying experience along with the other young men. He's been castrated, being very plain here. He's been made a eunuch, as they all were. And now he's been offered the king's wine, the cup of the king. What an honor. Well, I just won't get drunk, but just taste a little bit, a little bit of social drinking, you know, I've got to, when you're in Babylon but I purpose in my heart I'm not going to be defiled. This meat, the meat has been offered to the idols. Not that the idol is anything, but the spirit behind the idol. The cup has been poured out to the gods of Babylon. Now you partake with the priestly blessing. So Paul says, I say that things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Very significant in the light of Holy Communion that we have here Sunday by Sunday. 
You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table where the food is, the bread, the meat, and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Then he goes on about the meat. Verse 27. If any of them that believe, uh, any of them that believe not bid you go to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. Now, when I go overseas and I have to eat some pork and bless it and call it fish, uh, you know, I don't ask questions for my conscience sake, it's my stomach's sake. Big difference there. Uh, one's up here somewhere. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice to idols, eat it not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not your own but the other. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I have to hold it there. Now let me finish on this, and there's no way I'll finish my message. I'm sorry. The two reasons that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat was, number one, the word of God had spelt out the, clear, the distinction between that which is clean and unclean. Second thing is that the food was offered to idols and there was a spirit behind the idols to partake. And just as Israel would partake of the altar, certain parts of the sacrifice of God, and partake of the spirit behind the altar, so Daniel knew that this was offered in, uh, in sacrifice aisles, and they would feed upon it, partake, uh, partook of the spirit. Now, let me ask you some questions, and we'll sort of have to wrap up here. How many believe that there's a spirit behind the Lord's table here? When we partake of the bread and of the cup... As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, I speak as to wise men, judge you what I say. So there's a spirit behind the Lord's table. What spirit is it? How many believe that there's a spirit behind this? What spirit is it? How many know that when the Mormons print their books, that there's a spirit behind the Book of Mormon? Did you know that they pray over those books? that the Spirit will work with that book. The JWs, Mormons, more man, less God, Jehovah's Witnesses. Don't take those literature. I'm sorry to say, you know, I know people have been deceived by receiving literature in counseling with somebody. I said, oh, somebody's been to your door, yes, and they left you some literature, yes, and you read it, yes, and got deceived into a another cultic thing. How many believe there's a spirit behind music? How many believe there's a spirit behind rock music and heavy metal? Let me do, uh, turn to one more scripture here. Numbers chapter, well, I'll give you the scripture because different translations uh, bring it out a little bit more clearly than King James but I do like the word that King James uses. Why don't you put this down? Uh, Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33. Uh, just put it down because only King James uses the word that I want to use as I sort of wrap up here. Uh, Numbers chapter 33 and verse 50 uh, through to 56 for your notes. Numbers 33 verses 50 to 56 for your notes. So you follow along in your, uh, whatever translation you've got. But King James puts it this way, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab, 
by Jordan near Jericho. So the generation is about to enter the promised land. Now they're in the plains of Moab by Jordan. They're going to cross the river Jordan. They're near Jericho, the first city to be overthrown. So he says to them, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, this is what I want you to do. You shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. And all King James says it this way, and I like the word here because it's more relevant to our, our, our situation today. Destroy all their pictures. Now the word picture in the Hebrew is engraved stones. How many have seen Aboriginal art and engravings on the stones in caves? And How many have seen that? Hands up. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. So that when they went into the land of Canaan, uh, God said, destroy the pictures. Now, he's not talking about pictures that we've got, but it's applicable today. But in the, in the, uh, the engraved stones, there were pictures, uh, por pornographic pictures, naked men, naked women, all sorts of things in their so-called art. And he said, I want you to destroy those pictures those engraved stones. Number two, I want you to destroy all their molded images or molten images. And number three, I want you to quite pluck down all their high places. And in other scriptures I have here, destroy their altars and destroy their pillars. Now notice God didn't say, now when you go in the land of Canaan, once you pick up some souvenirs and put them in the missions department. And it really bothers me, saints. I think you know me enough now that I'm square. I'm going to a four-square city. I'm going to be square for all eternity. How many are in the same city with me? <laughs> and it really bothers me to go to churches and look in the missions department and see idols and artifacts and statutes that have been picked up in different nations and brought back as souvenirs and put into the missions department and here they are praying, come Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's attached to those things. Oh, you say, Kevin, you really get, no, 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 no. There's the Spirit's behind the idol. And there's a fine line between this realm and the Spirit realm. And so I'm asking young people, young people, have you got pictures? I've been sometimes to people's places and young people's bedrooms. And I see pornographic pictures, I see pictures of rock stars and pinky rock and acid rock and heavy metal guys all plastered round the wall and I think this kid is becoming like the picture he worships same hairstyle same dress style same heavy metal style and I'm talking from experience here because having been in Bible Temple for 10 years almost Dealing with young people, often young people would go into uh, deep depression and we counsel with them and finally we'd have to say, we always ended up on this, what music are you listening to? And when we go to the dorms and check out some of the records, this is why. There's a spirit. Eh? I don't care what, you, I know, you, you can love me or hate me for this, but I'm sorry when I think of Striper, and some of the extreme ones of Sabbath and Black Kiss and the rest of it, there's a spirit behind it. And see, that's what Daniel wasn't going to partake of, that spirit. Spirit behind So he said, burn the pictures. Get rid of the images. Don't take them for souvenirs. I'll tell you some case histories I've had to handle 
over the years. Come back next week for this exciting episode. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.